Father, we love you and we just thank you for this time where we can stop. God, as we're just entering into the Christmas season, God, the reason I wanted to sing this song this morning was just so we could stop and we could just set our eyes on you. God, as we're starting this track into what is a busy time of year, God, that we can just set our eyes on you and God, throughout all the busyness, throughout the gifts and family and parties and all the things that are going on, God, that we can lift our eyes and we can say, all hail King Jesus, Savior of the world. God, this morning, we just choose to set our hearts on you. We set our eyes on you. God, we just want you. God, we love you and we just thank you so much for this time together. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. God, we love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and we begin our Christmas time. It's good. We're glad to be home. We had a great time with our son and daughter-in-law and three grandchildren in Hawaii, and uh, Hawaii is absolutely the paradise people talk about. Beautiful. Hope you can go one day. So today, we're having the Lord's Supper, and to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, we're going to use the scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 through 17. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Man, we're having a retreat here at the church this year in January. One of the weekends in January, you might need to look that up. I'm not sure which one it is now. Uh, but one of the weekends in January hit the church. We're going to do it here instead of going down to Riverbend. Hopefully, we'll have more men come. We've heard through the years that the cedar is too bad down there. I get it. It's too hard to get away. Uh, for that weekend or to go away. They don't want to sleep around other men. Okay, all good. Uh, whatever the reason is, we have hopefully removed all those reasons, and so we're going to expect a packed house. We have on Friday night Jerry Sizemore coming to be our speaker. Now, many of you may not know who Jerry Sizemore is. Us older folks know who Jerry Sizemore is. Jerry Sizemore was All-American at the University of Texas, and he was the third person selected in the NFL draft of the first round of that year. And uh, uh, the NFL says that of all the people drafted in the first year, Jerry Sizemore made the most impact in the NFL, and he played offensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. There you go, Chuck. The Philadelphia boy spoke up. He played... Uh, uh, offensive tackle for Philadelphia Eagles for 15 or so years. And in Philadelphia, the man is a hero. We were going to the airport. He went to Portugal with us last year. And, and going, they found out who he was, and they put that boy in first class. <laughs> Lady found out who he was. One of the workers of the, of the stewardess people said, you're Jerry Sizemore? I said, yes, ma'am, here's my passport. She said, sir, we have a seat for you. And when we were coming back, you know, you, you come back in the first spot internationally, you go into the, uh, a city here, you've got to go through customs and you get your suitcase and you give it back to them. And when we were at the place there in Philadelphia where we're giving it back to them, I was just kind of messing around and, and a bunch of guys are handling the bags right there and they've got all these machines. You put your bags through to make sure there's no bad stuff in it and it goes down the hole and all that kind of stuff. Anyway... Uh, I, they were all joking around, and I said, do y'all know who that big guy right there is? And they said, no, not sure who that is. I said, that's Jerry Sizemore. I'm, I want you to know that process stopped. 
He said, that's Jerry Sizemore. And Jerry Sizemore turned around and said, sure enough, that's Jerry. Hold on, hold on. They're getting selfies with him. They're singing Fly, Eagle, Fly, and all that kind of stuff. And, and a lady, uh, that, a man that was there says, wait, we got to call our boss. Just please don't move. Don't move. And so he gets on his phone and, and running down the hallways, the la- a lady that's the boss, she says, you are my dad's number one player of all time. Can I take a picture so I can give it to my dad? And sure enough, they got his picture and got his autograph. And so he's going to be here on Friday night to speak to us. So what a great opportunity you have to bring all your friends. Man, you can bring them, bring your sons, bring other people's sons, whatever you want to do. And let's work real hard to pack this place with, with men. Now, ladies, if you want to come, you can come, but please sit in the back rows. No. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. You can sit in the front row. That'd be funny, though, wouldn't it? All the ladies in the back? Yeah, boy, Jewish today. And uh, so... Uh, this is going to be a great time. We have the beast feast like we always do, ton of meat, going to eat lots of good ribs and beef and chicken, and then we'll have our service together, and then we'll do our fun time. And then we'll come back on Saturday morning, and, and we'll have some teaching, some small groups, and have a good time. Now, if you want to sleep up here, have at it, okay? <laughs> Enjoy your time. Lee Brewer will not be sleeping up here, but if you want to, please do, if you miss the game time that we have down yonder. Okay. That's, that's going on. So mark it down, guys. We want you here. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. In this passage, we see Paul remembering what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, that's a pretty good thing for us to do, to consider what Jesus has done in our life what Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do. Verse 12, Paul says, writing to Timothy, the young pastor, and, and Paul trained Timothy, discipled Timothy, got him ready to go. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He begins with thanksgiving. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. So Paul recognized that, first of all, the Lord giving him strength to do the Lord's work was a reason to be thankful. He said, he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Now, Paul was no choir boy growing up. Paul was not a nice person. Paul was not a respectful person. He even uses the word insolence in talking about his behavior Paul was a Jew of all Jews. He was rebellious. He was radical. He was extreme. And Paul literally hated Jesus and the people of Jesus. Matter of fact, he got all the legal documents that would be required for him to be able to travel and arrest at will any followers of Jesus he could find on his journeys to arrest them. To, to, he, he lived his passion in life before Jesus was to live to stop the movement of Christ. So he, he's not a good guy when you consider the things of the Lord. And here Paul says, I'm thankful to Jesus because 
He gave me the strength to serve him, and he has trusted me and appointed me to serve him. That's an amazing transformation we see in the life of Paul. Now consider this. Not only did God give him the strength, but God entrusted Paul with God's plan, with God's mission. That's, that's quite a spectacular thing for God to do. Now, God knew his heart. God knew who Paul could be. God saw the future. God knew the future. He chose Paul. Paul was the right guy, and he chose him. He selected him. He changed him, and he set him up to take the gospel to the whole world. Now, when we think about his mission, he had the most important assignment there is in the world to proclaim the good news to Jesus, to go to the hard places, to preach where Christ had not been preached before, and to, to herald the message so that the kingdom of God could be built, the church could flourish, and people could discover salvation, and they could understand the good news about God. And God selected Paul to be the leader of that movement. And he says, in my insolence, insolence means his rude behavior, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. So Paul is thinking back to what God has done. He says, God gave me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy to do his work. He appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. So he's thinking back to what God has done, what Christ has done in his life. So as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, consider what Christ has done in your life. Consider the change. Consider the forgiveness Consider the salvation. Consider the strength that he's given you to endure. Perhaps you've gone through some real difficult times in your life. Perhaps you've gone through hard times recently, and, and you've been blown away with the fact that when you are in him and following him and yielding him, you do experience the peace that passes all understanding. Perhaps you have found the power of prayer to be true. And so it's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time of remembering what Jesus has done for us. It's a time of us coming to the place to realize we were dead in our sin. We were aliens. We were strangers. We were separated from God. But Jesus Christ became clear to us that he died for us on the cross. And he has completely set us apart from how we were. And we are righteous in his eyes through the work of Christ. So Paul thought about what Christ has done. That's a good thing for us to do today. Think about what Jesus has done for you. And then he talks about what Jesus was doing in his life at that particular time. He says, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. Now, the idea of he filled me in, in the language, what it's saying there is, in the, in the Greek language, it's saying, he is filled me and he is filling me. 
And so he says, past transitions to the present. This is my present experience, Paul is saying. He is generous and he is gracious and he has set me apart and he has given me that generosity in that he has been gracious to me and he is filling me with faith and love. Jesus fills us with faith and love. Now, you have heard the voice of Jesus. You have sensed the presence of God in your life if you have had thoughts, ideas, feelings, awarenesses that you need to take a hold of to grow in or to experience more of faith and love. It may come this way. I need to trust more. That's faith and love being built. I need to agree with God more. I need to understand what God is doing. I need to to take matters away from my hands. I need to take myself out of this picture and I need to take a back seat and I need to wait on the Lord. That's the spirit of the Lord speaking to you. That's Jesus talking to you. And what Jesus is saying to you is, you need to trust me. He's increasing faith in us. He gives faith. And the same is true of love. Jesus gives love. And so, man, you're sitting around and, and, and you consider someone who has need. Someone's got a problem. Someone's got an issue. Someone's, you know, sideways or something's going on. You know, something's just not right with someone. And, and if you are overwhelmed with a thought, a feeling, a, a, an awareness that you ought to help someone, that you ought to speak a word of encouragement to someone. You ought to do something for someone. I mean, it, it may not be a great gesture from your perspective. It may be a small gesture. But if you're having the thought that you ought to express love to someone else, that's from Jesus. And so you of all who know Christ, who hear his voice, who are in him, you've heard Christ speak to you. If there's more faith that's been a thought that you've had, if it's, a, if it's a desire that you have, that's the Spirit of God working you. A desire to believe and a desire to love is from the Lord. It's not from you. It's not from your flesh. It's not from your personal experience. It's not through human reason because Romans 3 says, in our own, in our flesh, we don't have those thoughts. I, I get a kick out of people that say, you know, I, I just don't know about all that hearing God speak. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Because if you know Christ, you have heard him speak. And, and very clearly it says here, Paul says, this is where God has spoken to me. This is where he's at work in my life. He has filled me. He is filling me with faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. So, think about that. It, the Lord's at work in you at this very time speaking to you about more faith and more love. He is at work to increase the dosage in you to faith and love. That's what God's doing. That's a reason for us to worship. That's a reason for us to celebrate. That's a reason for us to get, you know, excited about the things of the Lord. That's what he's doing in you. And, and you ought to just let him do it. 
Just, just let him flourish in you. Let him, let him lead. Let him guide. Let him lift your spirits and believe in love. Love more than you ever have loved before. Love beyond yourself. Love beyond your reason. Love beyond your understanding. Believe more than you believe God. Believe his word. Believe that the Bible is his very word. The things that he has said to us, he will fulfill. He will do. This is his truth to us. He is speaking to us through his word. Believe him. Believe him. Believe what he said. Believe what he's doing. Believe God. And let God just transform you from the inside out. And that may Jesus be exalted in us as we believe him and if we, as we love. And so... Paul says, man, Timothy, I get caught away. I get beyond myself. I mean, I'm outside of myself with this. I can't explain this any other way. He says, oh, how gracious and generous our Lord was. Oh, man. He, something, let me sit down for a minute, Timothy. Let me talk to you about this. It's unbelievable, Timothy. God has been so real to me. He has been so gracious and generous to me. Man, I can't, I can't describe it. It's a feeling. It's a, an awareness. And it's an understanding. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement that just blows me away. God is God, and he is God in me. And I've experienced his grace. I've experienced his generosity. And this is what he's doing to me now. He has given me faith and love. He's given me more faith and love than I can contain. And his faith and love is overflowing in me. Paul says in this letter, he says, you know, I'm in jail. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm in jail for Christ. I'm not ashamed of it, Timothy. <coughs> I'm in jail for the cause of Jesus. And he says in, the, in, this, in this letter to Timothy, man, I'm content. I'm absolutely content in my situation. The only way that you can be absolutely content in his situation is that Jesus is Jesus to him. And he's experiencing so much of Jesus that it's just, it's just taking that jail cell away. And even though he's confined in that cell, He's not confined because of who Jesus is. Man, it puts a different perspective on our troubles, worries, and our difficulties, doesn't it? When Jesus is Jesus, and when we are recognizing that he is all we need, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What do we need? If the Lord is our shepherd, what else do we need? We can be content in him. So that's what he says he's doing. And then in verse 15, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And look what he says. And I am the worst of them all. That's Paul saying that. He might be right. We have no record that he ever murdered anybody, but I think he'd be okay with it. He would have been okay with murdering some of them Christian people. Never says that, but he'd have been okay with it. We know that he was okay with the murder of Stephen. In Acts, it tells us that, that, that he was recognizing what was taking place. And so he had seen it. He had known it. He had experienced it. And here he is on the other side. And he's no longer 
against the things of Christ. He is now absolutely for the things of Christ. And he says, it's a trustworthy saying. So that tells us you can count on it. Matter of fact, you can count on it so much that everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. And then he gives us an insight into, into why that's a reason to celebrate. He took that he was the worst of them all to use him to the cause of Christ. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. But God had mercy on me. And he's using me to be an example. So with Paul, you didn't have any excuse that you were too big of a sinner to be accepted by God. And so when people say, you just don't understand, Paul. You talk about grace. You talk about love of God. You talk about generosity of God. You talk about the mercy of God and all these things. But I've been too bad. Paul would say, wait a minute, fella. Wait a minute, sister. Let me tell you a few stories about me. And Paul would begin to tell them stories about himself and said, if I have been born again, if I have been forgiven of my sins, you surely can be forgiven of your sins. None of us have been too bad for God. Not even one who's insolent, not even one that's a, that's a persecutor of the things of Christ, not even the one that would be okay with murdering the people of the way before Christ. He, he's the worst of the sinners, he says here. But God uses that so that I can be a prime example and so people will be able to see that if I can believe in God and be changed, so can they. That's a pretty cool thing that Paul tells us that. He says, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You can believe. You can believe. You can believe because, after all, Paul says, I am the worst of all sinners, and I believe. I've been born again. I've been forgiven. I have experienced the things of God, and you can too. You can believe. You can believe. And it says in verse 17, and now... We, we transition from what God has done, what God is doing through Christ, and of course what God will do, it says in verse 17, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. We sing to glorify God. We sing to honor Him. We come together and we sing these songs of our faith to, to say to God, we trust you, we believe in you, we adore you. We love you. You're worthy of all honor. You're worthy of our devotion. You're worthy of our adoring you. Oh, come, let us adore him. And, and we, we recognize God is eternal. We recognize through our worship that Jesus is eternal. And so all the promises of Scripture about the end of time, as we understand it, the coming of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, heaven, all those things, our hope is assured, it's sure, it's certain 
because of what Jesus has done, what he's doing, and we can, we can experience what he has done and what he's doing, and we put those together, and it allows us to leap into the eternal. If he's done this for us in the past, if he's at work in us in this way now, then we can be assured that he's going to do what he said he's going to do in eternity because he is the eternal king. He's alive. All glory and all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen. So this morning, think about what God has done in your life. You have been forgiven. You have received salvation. You have the gift of eternal life. You have been changed. You're no longer the same person. He's given you a new heart. He's given you purpose. He's given you the strength to serve him. He has given you, he is giving you more faith and more love than most likely you're usually comfortable with. Isn't that usually what happens with us? We get uncomfortable with the faith he gives us. We get uncomfortable with the love he gives us. He keeps on giving us more faith and more love, more faith and more love. And, and we, part of our spiritual maturation is we come to the place where we begin to just embrace the more faith and the more love, and we become one of those Jesus freaks that everybody runs from at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I bet there were some pretty good conversations at Thanksgiving around some of the Homes, wasn't there? Yeah, sure there was. Some people got uncomfortable. Sure they do. They get uncomfortable with people of faith and love. They can't explain that. Man, every time Uncle George comes to our house, he just wears me out. Why does he wear you out? Well, he's so cotton pig and happy. He's always talking about that Jesus thing. He's always talking about what God has said to him. He's always talking about what God is doing. Yeah, that makes people uncomfortable. So you know it makes unbelievers uncomfortable if we who are believers, we get uncomfortable with more love and more faith the Holy Spirit brings to us. We just got to learn to accept it, embrace it, enjoy it. I'm just believing more than I did this time last year. I'm loving more than I did this time next year. Well, the good news is you're going to love more next year than you do this year. And you're going to believe more next year than you do this year. That's the way it ought to be. And we ought to grow in faith and love to the point that we just can't stand it anymore. We're to beside ourselves. Every day we wake up, it's a new day of faith. It's a new day of love. It's a new day of opportunity in God. Man, that's where the good stuff is. So let the faith and love flourish. And so today we think about what God has done, what God is doing. We celebrate we, we examine ourselves, we consider the things of Jesus, and then we recognize that he is eternal. And so there's awe, there's celebration, there's respect, there's worship, there's adoration of him. There's adoration of him.